I would like definitely go in depth every night for at least half an hour on gut hook and just see like everyone's comment or every possible water source and also look for any way to get a hamburger or you know like if there's if there's like a road that you probably won't see but is there and it's in a comment by some random guy that he left four years ago and it goes to some bar i'm like Kristoff. I know this isn't reliable, but this guy says this, you know, just something like that. I would look for those hidden things. And that, that was my day with Pike, I guess. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Today's guest is Cockblock Moses, known off-trail as Clayton Barker. He started his journey Sobo thru-hiking the Appalachian Trail. He proceeded to Sobo the PCT and started the CDT Sobo before deciding to come back another time. In this episode, we dig into the most perfect thru-hiking food group, cheese blocks, and whether it's better to carry out one pound or two, how Sobo is the more perfect thru-hiking experience, and how he earned his trail name. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Cockblock Moses. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm good. Day off school, so just been hanging out, taking my time with whatever I need to be doing, and yeah, can't complain. Yourself? It's pretty chill. It's it's yeah. a beautiful day in LA. Okay, that's where you live? Yeah. What school are you going to, or... Uh, I go to Northern Michigan University, which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in in the city of Marquette. Got it. Yeah. Has spring come early at all or or seems to be delayed? Spring is probably still a month out. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is right on time, probably. Where are you from originally? Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is, I don't know if if you're familiar with Michigan at all. Not very much. No. So Kalamazoo is three hours east of Chicago and then two hours west of Detroit. So it's kind of in the middle of those two. And uh, I mean, no, nothing fantastic about Kalamazoo, but it's a nice, definitely a, a good place to grow up. And I'm I'm basically in, at Northern Michigan because it's as outdoorsy per se as I can get within the terms of Michigan for in-state college. Okay. Yeah. But it it really is beautiful up here. We're on Lake Superior, you know, the biggest freshwater lake in the world. And mm-hmm. I I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say as there's mountains up here, but there's big hills, you know. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you can find a little bit of stuff to do. What are what are you studying? Outdoor recreation. Was that uh, influenced by all of the through hiking and hiking that you've done, or is that just something that you've always been interested in? Uh no, I don't. I think it was definitely an influence. I was uh, originally going going into like education, and then I was I was actually in Ashland, Oregon, with a friend that I spent most of the summer with, and I was having lunch with his mom and his friend, and 
his friend asked me, you know, what are you going into college for? And I told her, uh, education. She's like, she, she said, why the fuck would you go into education? <laughs> I was like, well, I was kind of taken aback because she's this very sweet lady. And uh-huh. uh, she's like, you don't want to teach. That's not what you want to do. It's very obvious. Go into something that is going to benefit what you love doing. And, you know, that's what everyone always says. And I'm like, all right, why not? Let's just go on the outdoor rack and we'll take it from there. Do you find that your experience, we'll call it outdoors generically, but do you, your experience has helped with what you're studying and, and some of the classes and stuff? Uh, well, it's my first semester. So I've got a couple so of outdoor rec classes geared towards my degree specifically. Mm-hmm. And n- not so much now. I think once it once it gets more into like the the upper level classes, I know that we go on some pretty intense backpacking trips and you know, they, they test your skill and they test also like your, your emotional levels and how you stand out in the woods for 10 days. And just, if you can keep your stuff together. Yeah. And I think it'll come into play then, but like right now we're learning about who created parks and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, through hiking. (laughs) You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool to learn because it is the basis of all, of everything, but as of right now, I wouldn't say so. It doesn't really translate to the trail yet. No, no. I, I, I mean, we'll see if it does. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool if it did, but. When did you graduate high school? 2016. So, what, three years ago now, I guess? Three years yeah. ago in June. And I was reading in one of your sites, maybe it was the trek uh, on the trek, that you sort of had a goal of getting knocking all the trails out before you went to college and that kind of thing i wrote some really dumb articles for this <laughs> back. i'm sorry you had to read those i no, i like i do i remember writing those and like why did i write those um yeah i think that that was i mean when i started the at it was like all right let's see if i can hike this trail this is going to be pretty hard probably and uh you know you do it and you're like wow i did that let's let's see what the pct is all about and, you know, you hike the PCT and you're like, well, everyone's telling you, kind of not telling you to do it, but it's kind of like, hey, you kind of got to go do the CDT now. You can't stop now. And I think when you're on the outside of it all, triple crowning looks amazing. And it, it really is a, a feat that is held high. And I, I think it's quite an accomplishment. But like when you get down to it and you really get into the midst of triple crowning, and you're at the forefront of everything. Uh, I kind of realized like this isn't something I need to go to college with. And it would be cool to be a triple crowner as of right now, but at the same time, it'll be something I'll do in a couple of years or whenever it happens. Yeah. Right. It's not like the trails are going anywhere. Right. Exactly. And it's, I mean, it was tough. It was like three years back to back to back. And I know a lot of people do that, but, I think one thing that I took away from this summer after quitting the CDT was, you know, you, you really do have to be happy with what you're doing. And if you're not happy with what you're doing, then change that. And of course, there's going to be times on trail where most of the time where you're like, wow, this, this sucks. You know, it's raining. It's been raining for five days now. My feet have been wet. My knee hurts. And, you know, you're not having fun doing that, of course, but you, you sign up for that. But when you don't, when you look around at the mountains and you're like, I, I don't find anything to enjoy with this beauty, 
that's a problem and that's when you need to stop and come back to it, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of where I was at. Why do you think that was, why do you think that that was the case on the CDT? The CDT specifically this year, I hit it in, I think a record snow year. If not the record, it was one of the higher snow years ever. And from the get go, it was just one thing after another, you know, we were, we got caught up on a pass early on and we couldn't get over the pass. I mean, maybe we could have, but it felt, felt a bit too risky for what we were worth our, our wager and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. we bailed and I was like, all right, that kind of sucks. We didn't want to do that. And then, you know, we're just trudging through the snow constantly and the rivers were pretty high. And I think that is something I'm going to want at some point, but after three years of back to back to back, I'm like, yeah, this isn't, this just isn't what I want. The CDT also, Glacier National Park is phenomenal. That's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful places in the world, probably. But you start talking about the Bob Marshall, and uh, I don't, I don't find that pretty. And I think it, it would have been a lot harder to quit on a trail, say the PCT, when you're walking through the Cascades and the views are just consistent. That's not the case with the Continental Divide. And I, I think a lot of people. When we summarize the Continental Divide, I was talking to Cheesebeard and Oil Can about this. They they say the the beauty on the Continental Divide when you come across it, it's the best of the Triple Crown, right? Okay. But it's in pockets. You know, you've got the Wind River, phenomenal. You've got Glacier, phenomenal, and some other sections. But the sections in the middle of all those are just walking, and you take away what you can from it. I think that's a big factor of all this walking too is every day you have to find something worth enjoying or you shouldn't be doing it i'm I'm rambling you're absolutely fine and i I take it that on the at and this and the pct that was easier to come by yeah and also too it's like obviously the at is a green tunnel you know it really is but you know i had been in school for whatever 16 years however long high school and middle school whatever Mm -hmm the general education length is and i mean you give me a little bit of freedom and it was just like <laughs> oh this is you know this is so cool i mean it's like when kids go to college freshman year and they just they yeah. go crazy it's it's the same concept on the at and you start meeting these cool people and you come into towns and you have a good time at a hostel and yeah the at there was just no real reason to quit and it's also too if i would have quit the first trail it's like come on dude you're obviously not made for this but you were also going Sobo, so southbound, which means that you weren't hiking with as many people in general until you started crossing the people who were coming northbound and, and that type of thing. Right. So I've done, yeah, I've done all three trails Sobo, obviously not the duration mm-hmm. of the CDT, but the, you know, the AT in the beginning, there's definitely, I'd say, it, it's quieter for sure. And there's not, there's definitely not as many Sobos. I probably met maybe 40 Sobos on the AT, but you're only hiking around maybe like 10 of them at most at a given time up north. And then, you know, up north you're, you're walking and it's summertime. So people are out hiking in general. People right. are doing their thing. And so you're seeing those people, you're seeing northbounders. And then the northbounders, for me at least, cut off in New York. And probably earlier, probably more even like Massachusetts. And then once they're gone, 
you're you're pretty much with whoever you're hiking with which was a couple of people and then you'd kind of run into sobos in towns or shelters every now and then at least in at least until Pennsylvania it was for me on the weekends you'd get you'd get hikers people would be off work so they'd be hanging out at shelters or whatnot so once winter hit once it came into say October and we're down in the south you really didn't see sobos I mean I I was fortunate enough to hike with a kid named Littlefoot, another kid named Pumpkin, and a girl named Hiccup for most of the trail, and they gave me company. But if it wasn't for them, it's definitely quiet trails. And I think the PCT is even, that's even quieter. Particularly Sobo. I think so. Yeah, I thought it was even quieter than the AT. You know, again, you've got the no, you've got the Novos, but once you pass them, it's, uh, it's just you and your thoughts. And and you're not going because it is more remote. I would guess that you're not going to have the the weekenders or the day trippers that are out there hiking it. Right on the PCT. I mean, yeah, people exactly. aren't. You know, people aren't going into the Sierra Nevada for two days generally. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. The only place that I could see that possibly happening is around uh, Timberline Lodge on Mount Hood, where the the trail is literally sure. like fifty feet behind the lodge, and and people can just hop on it for a second. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's always, uh, I do think there's like this perception that the trail is quieter than it really is. And it, it definitely, it can get quiet. I mean, you know, I've definitely gone a few days without seeing people multiple times, but um, there's always some road somewhere and people are driving down it or people know about this road. And I think the the big thing is, is as the mountains get bigger, it does get more remote because there is less roads. So it is harder to access. Were you essentially considering yourself a solo hiker who had some version of a trail family and that you would hike around these people? Or were you hiking with somebody specifically and you guys were staying in contact every day? Yeah. So on all the trails, we would, you know, we'd camp together and then we'd say, hey, we're going to go to this shelter, this water source, and I'll see you there tonight. So I generally would, like at AT, I hiked with three people. Mm-hmm. The PCT, I hiked with one guy the whole time. Okay. And same with the CDT. I don't hike with people during the day, no. That's that's not something I like to do. I mean, of course, it happens every now and then. So I guess that question is always confusing. I like I hike alone specifically, but I like to camp with people. Right. No, I, I get it. Yeah, I really, I think there's a lot of us out there who really don't like camping alone. And after a hard day where you just, you just go through something tough or it's a bad bushwhack or whatever the case may be, it's so much better coming into camp and just being able to complain to whoever you're with. And they're like, oh man, I totally agree with you. That sucks. And then, you know, you you can laugh about it and eat your fried cheese. Fried cheese, huh? Oh, there's nothing better. You take your little pocket knife out and well, I mean, I don't I don't carry a stove, but somehow it happened. So uh, how did you fry your cheese if you don't carry a stove? Well, all right, I carried a stove on the AT for most of the time, but you know, if you have if you have a little fire going, you can mm-hmm. you can fry some cheese or you can also just keep it in your pocket while you hike somewhere warm. And then it warms up. I guess that's not very fried, but 
Fried yeah. cheese is delicacy. It really is. And it's literally just a, a slice of, of cheese fried. There's nothing with it. There's nothing on it. No, there doesn't need to be. That's the, that's the thing about it. You just put it over, you put it over your little, uh, your pocket light or whatever mm-hmm. it's called and just warm it up and you try to get the edges brown. And it's, uh, it's, it's basically your world after that once you figure fried cheese out. So <laughs> crazy. It's, it's your version of, of cheese beer's fascination with mac and cheese. Yeah. You know, if I, that is the case, fried cheese, cheese is, cheese has been, one of the one of the go-tos on trail just a block of cheese and you'd come into town and you'd always get into a really aggressive argument at walmart with your hiking buddy you're like you don't want that two pound block of cheese and you know you start yelling at each other and everyone's looking around at you like are they arguing over you know the weight of cheese and i'm trying to tell him like no you do want two pounds of cheese and then he gets the the one pound cheese and you get out there three days in. He's like, damn it. I wish I brought that two pound cheese. And I said, I told you, man, you know, happens. And then you get back into town for the next time and you have the argument again about the two pound versus the one pound of cheese. Yeah, it, it becomes a little cycle. And Walmart is great for that. If you can have any argument, do it in Walmart. And it seems normal. It really <laughs> does. Okay. <laughs> Did you do... The extra sharp, extra, extra sharp cheddar cheese, that kind of thing? Or were you doing it with other, other types? I'm not, I'm not really a sharp man myself. I'm more of a, what is the, what is the mix? The Kobe Jack. That's my thing. And, Kobe and Jack. that you were able to take like a two pound block of that out with you. And yeah, I, I think it's two pounds. I'm not, I'm, I'm saying some weight of reference Mm -hmm. and I'm not specifically sure if it's two pounds, but it's a lot of cheese. Like you look at the block and you're like, wow, am I really carrying this right now? Mm -hmm. And you put yourself in a good position because you don't want to carry that much cheese. So you kind of have to eat it. You're like, we've got to take care of this. (laughs) We have a weight problem. We got to take care of. Yeah. How long would, would it last and, and be fine? Did you ever have an issue? You carry a block of cheese for a month if you had to. It really doesn't matter. As long as you, if you like seal it properly, then you're good. If you don't seal it properly, the edges will get kind of hard. But sometimes the best thing that happens to it is it gets really greasy. And it just kind of like you can, you can push it out of the package. It's all greased up and it slides right up and it's soft. And I mean, it's (laughs) (laughs) it's really good it really is you should totally write a a paper on the different aspects of cheese it it would be a serious dissertation but i definitely (laughs) could was there a reason that you had chosen to go southbound on the at was that relating to just graduation and that kind of thing yeah, it was related to graduation so you know i finished school what june 10th or i don't even know the date and Obviously, Novo is not an option. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it was definitely daunting because you get on the ATC's website and they're like, hey, you know, you really don't want to do this. And uh, you're probably not going to make it if you do it. And we're like, all right, this isn't looking good. And I actually, for spring break, uh, senior year of high school, I went to Harper's Ferry, which is the, you know, the psychological mm-hmm. halfway point of the, of the Appalachian Trail with my dad. And we went in there and there's this... uh the shorter man with long hair, very recognizable. Every time I've gone into the halfway point at Harper's Ferry, he's in there. 
And, uh, you know, I was talking to him and I told him how, Hey, like probably going to do a Southbound in July. And, you know, my dad's standing right next to me and he basically says, you really like, you probably shouldn't do that. Have you thought of other options? Have you thought of section hiking? And yeah, I mean, I still went through and did it and, but it's, a, I think it's a different ball game in, in a sense and, and they hype it up too, but it is difficult. No, no doubt. No. Why are they talking against doing it? Yeah, it I don't weather? know. Is I, it? Well, I mean, I guess they've got this saying on the AT that says, I don't, and I don't think this is true, but it kind of does point to how difficult Maine is. They say you've done 80% of the walking by the time you get to Maine with 20% of the effort. And and they say like Mount Katahdin is the hardest mountain on the AT. And that's what you start with, right? And of course, like, hey, it's just one mountain. Like, it's just it's a it's a day of hiking. Like, that's not that shouldn't be the the like antithesis for going uh, nobo, right? But Maine in general is rocky and it's rooty and it's it's always wet. It's not like it's dry. And you don't I, like I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how to backpack or what, what food to bring or how much food to bring. And it's difficult. It really was. I mean, starting in Georgia would have been a lot easier. And Georgia's not the easiest state on the AT either. That's definitely very hilly and like sharp up and downs, but it's not as rocky right? by any means. I mean, you're talking about every footstep is calculated in Maine. You know, you have to, you have to put your foot down properly or you're going to slip. Or you're going to twist your ankle or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. I think it also makes, it kind of makes more sense to go Nobo too. I mean, the grand finish on Katahdin is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like that's a, that's wow. That's a crazy finish. And you get that stellar pick at the, at the sign. And it's like, we did this. This this was awesome. And there's a lot of things that make sense about Nobo walking into spring. And, you know, you walk into fall, which, it's hit or miss on the AT going solo. So did you run yeah. into issues with, with snow or, or weather like that? I never really ran into issues on the AT with snow. We ran into, I hiked it in the, in the section of Southern Appalachia. I did it in the record drought year in 150 years. So we ran into wildfire problems which rerouted us a couple of times and it's just smoky most of the time, which was not fun to breathe in and kind of like a downer, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there also just like was not water anywhere. And that's, that was the funny thing is that on the AT, they're always, Hey, you never have to worry about water. Like water is everywhere. And, and that's what you read about. And, and really that is the case, but that year the weather was the climate or whatever you want to call it with right. water and smoke was terrible. Did you run into any issues when you when that was happening with the lack of water or dehydration or that kind of stuff? Yeah, I uh I embarrassingly ran into a couple of situations with lack of water. And I I, I don't know how I feel about them now, but I think I went some pretty long distances without water a couple of times and it really sickened me. I guess, you know, you get pretty dehydrated and it's not healthy for you. And part of it is errors 
on my part for not getting water when I could have or not understanding when to get water. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that scenario, not getting water was a part of being dehydrated and thinking I didn't need water, you know? So it's kind of like a double-edged sword Yeah, uh, that played in with the dehydration where you just get even more dehydrated. But the Smokies, I don't, I don't remember a really good flowing water source at all. I mean, there's six, I think it's like 60 miles through the Smokies. I can't remember, but there was one water source there and the flow was a liter per 10 minutes. And that was it. Yeah. So, I mean, like dry and you go to the Smokies and it's, I think it's technically a rainforest and it's very lush. Right. Right. So we, we got off at Newfound Gap, I think it is, and went into Gatlinburg and it just played in that hiker Thanksgiving was in hot springs. So we were able to fill up our water there and we weren't too worried, but you know, you're carrying like six to eight liters of water, which is a lot. That's a lot on the AT. And that's even a lot yeah. for like the desert and the PCT. Right, right. And I've never really at any other given point in time carried, I guess, out in Death Valley, I was carrying maybe six liters of water. And, but on the AT, it's, yeah, it's just, you just kind of want to do this. This is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then the water sources too, like I wasn't using gut hooks. I was using AWOL, the, the physical book. And no one around me really was using gut hooks. So we weren't really sure if a source was going to be flowing. You know, you would see on AWOL that they'd have the half water mark, which means it could be flowing. Mm-hmm. Or they'd have a full water mark, which means it's flowing. And you couldn't even really trust the the full water marks once you were down in the south. It was real tough at times. What made you get decide to go with the AWOL stuff versus doing like the gut hooks app, which is a little bit more real time and Right. Uh I'm not sure specifically. I think AWOL was kind of what most AT hikers used and I thought heck looks cool it's it's cheaper than gut hook and i'm i'm happy that i used it mm-hmm. i am i i've used gut hooks on the pct and the cdt and sometimes i wish i didn't have it i will be like all right point eight, point seven, point six. the camp you know <laughs> like like i need, a, I need the to countdown yeah yeah and and with a wall it's power lines point five to your shelter and it's mm-hmm. okay and and there's something fun about physically pulling out a book and being oh, able yeah. to like tear the pages out or like write in it. And so I feel like I watched a lot of YouTube videos prior to the AT. And if that's what I saw people using, that's what I went with. Now on the, on the PCT, you also went southbound and I saw that, which, which is unusual on the PCT or probably more unusual than even on the AT. But I also saw that you did have some issues with snow on that one, at least. Yeah, I got, well, I mean, and the issue wasn't necessarily up north. It was more in the Sierra, but we definitely right. had snow in the, in Washington and the Cascades and, you know, there, there's snow and it was a high snow year in general. So it took a while to melt. And there's a lot of hype to that, that I was definitely concerned about. I remember like two days before I started or when I was taking the train out West, a lady got airlifted out off Rocks Pass, which is like 30 miles from the border. And I was like, wow, that's not good. You know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that must really be bad. I'm glad I've got this ice axe and 
but I, I think she, she was dealing with some other situation personally, like possibly I heard PTSD and which is awful. Okay. And that, I think that's why, but there's this, there's so much hype about the snow and, and then you get walking and you start hearing about the hype of the Sierra Nevada and how snowstorms come. And we're like, wow, we've really got to, really got to move. And, you know, you're, you're hauling every day. And we thought, we thought we were making good time. I think we got into the Sierra around September 16th and the snowstorm hit us right outside of Yosemite like September 19th or the 20th, somewhere around there. And uh, it, it kind of scared everyone in the area. And a lot of people I remember, like even like the section hikers and stuff that I, I was running into, they were like, this is, this is terrible. And it wasn't even the fact that it wasn't like it was five feet of snow. It was just the fact that you're walking through it all day. So your shoes are wet and mm-hmm. then your toes get wet and then your toes get cold. And like personally, also too, I just had a kind of a bad stretch of luck in the Sierra. My tent flooded pretty terribly and it drenched my sleeping bag, drenched my, all of my layers. And I got pretty, pretty cold that night. And then from there on out, it was hard to like mentally come back from that. And it's kind of, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Almost everyone's saying, Hey, the snow's going to hit in the Sierra. You're, you're going to have a hell of a time. It's going to be awful. And, and then it happens and you're like, wow, they were right. <laughs> yeah. But people try to scare you quite a bit. And if anyone listens to this, you just got to go in headstrong because people want you to be scared because mm-hmm. they think there is something to worry about. And there always is something to worry about. But when I walk out of my dorm room, someone could beat me up. You know, I'm not yeah. worried about that. So I don't think that's going to happen. I hope not. But isn't that a possibility? You know? Right. Stuff like that. Like, yeah. You have to be smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. Chances are it's not going to happen. Right. And, uh, and you prepare for it, I think. Now, when you were on the PCT, you were cold soaking? No, I don't, I don't really cold soak. Okay. I mean, that's what I think a lot of people that are stoveless do. Mm-hmm. I just eat, like, I, I mean, we've talked about this. I just eat cheese, like blocks of cheese. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That's that's your one and only nutrition? <laughs> that's that's basically it. I just have a block of cheese, I cut that up at night and then I a lot of times I do like a summer sausage. So I do a little cheese and meat and uh no wine, sadly, but it would have been nice. <laughs> and then like every now and then I'd pack out an avocado and have that for like the first two days of the resupply. And that was just a solid source of of protein for me. And then you mix in like, say a cosmic brownie or something sugary like that, a honey bun at night. Cold soaking though, it seems the people, the people that do cold soaking stand by it and it, it's, it holds water. Like it's definitely a cool thing to do. You know, I think it's the way to go if you don't want to carry a stove. And, and frankly, like most people that cold soak, you know, they, when they stop at lunch, they put the ramen or whatever they, they have in uh, their Talenti jar and then they throw the water in and when they're done hiking at five or six, it's good to go and they just eat. So yeah, pretty cool. So you, since you weren't cold soaking and you didn't have a stove, it sounds like your diet was pretty limited because you weren't, you weren't getting the, even the, the carbs and stuff like that from, from ramen or instant mashed potatoes or things like that. 
Did you have any issues with losing weight or anything like that? I don't think so. I definitely eat carbs. Don't get me wrong, just because I don't cold soak. But I think my weight gain, I, I think I would stay pretty even with weight. Okay. Because you put on a little muscle and then kind of nearing the end of a through hike, you start, I feel like you start burning that muscle that you put on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's kind of a fine balance. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. You weren't having issues that your hip belt was suddenly not fitting or that type of thing. No, no, okay. no, nothing like that. And I don't, I really don't have any weight to lose. So right. It's it's basically hip bone down there at all times, you know. <laughs> like there's nothing. So you would notice. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if my hips fell off, but other than that, I think it's pretty solid. But I I don't like. I'm not a big fan of ramen in general, mm-hmm. and dabbled with those potatoes, and they're so damn good. You know, you can throw water in those. You don't need to cook them or anything. You can just cut off the the top and put water in, and they're usually the water won't soak all the way to the bottom, but once you get to the dry part, you throw more water in, but they, uh, they really just make me just explode the next morning. I mean, I'll hike for 20 minutes and it's like, wow, that was, that was a regret. And it's, I'll do it over and over again. And it's, you know, you're going to regret this tomorrow morning and you, you still do it. It's terrible. I almost am afraid to ask when you say explode, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, it entails me walking down trail for 20 minutes and you know, you're just, you're walking down trail and you hear the birds chirping and you're looking at the mountains. It's a beautiful morning and I'm really happy to be out here. I'm happy that this is my life and a cramp hits you and you're like, wow, this is, this isn't normal. And you find the nearest tree and you throw your backpack down and you just, it's, it's the worst. It really is. That was what I was expecting when you said explode, but I wanted to make sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that too is on trail. That's not something you want to be dealing with because it's not resources aren't at your advantage for cleanliness. Right. Did you have any other issues with uh, injury or, or issues with like Giardia or anything like that while you were on trail? Hmm. I've never had Jardia or any like trichinosis or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Never had limes, thankfully. I don't filter my water most of the time. Oh, so really? I don't know, but at times I do. Like if I see like a, a dead dog in a water source that I'm drinking out of, I'm like, all right, we better filter this. But injuries such as like blisters, I feel like I might have had a pinched nerves in a pinched nerve in my back at, a couple of times knee pain. I ha- I've had, I've definitely had a lot of frostbite. Other than that, just the pains of walking too much, which right. is kind of common. You can't control it. Yeah. You just build it up. Did any of the, the frostbite linger beyond the trail or issues from frostbite? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like if I go outside and I'm not wearing gloves, I won't be able to feel my fingers for a few hours. Like it just kind of, they just cut off. So that's, that's still here, but I don't know. That's just, that's just my fingers though. And I've gotten it. I feel like I got it pretty bad on my toes and my toes, I guess they get cold too. Like when they get cold, they lose feeling, but it's not like, uh, I needed to get any of them cut off or anything. So that was good. <laughs> Thank God for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that bad. Just minimal nerve damage. Was that from being outside or getting wet and not being able to get dry again? Yeah, I mean, that that was the synopsis of the Sierra Nevada. It was just not being prepared, which is 100% my fault, but also getting dealt a pretty bad hand and working with what I had. But, you know, it's like my nose got it too. And what do you do about a nose? You can wear gloves on your hands, but I guess you could wear like a face mask, but it was just bad in general. The wind whips around out there. Yeah. How, when you hit the snow or when you got dumped on by the storm in Yosemite, how long did that affect you? Was it literally then all the way down through the Sierras or, or did at some point you kind of come out of it, out of the snow drop and, and you were okay there? Yeah, it was like four days worth, I think. Okay. Four tough days. And then I feel like we came into Mammoth Lakes, which is a little ski town. And after that, we kind of, we got all the supplies we needed. We took a night in town and really warmed up. And, you know, we're staying in a hostel. And of course, the guy in our, in our room wanted to leave the window open all night because he was hot. And I'm like, that is, you know, I just thought that was funny. I'm like, this is the last thing I need, whatever. But after that, most of the snow had melted, but there was still snow on the higher up passes, but it wasn't anything that was a nuisance. When it first dumped on us, you were like walking through it all day. Right. And it was icy and it just slows. It really does slow you down, which was interesting. I remember we did a, we did like a 15 mile day. And at the end of the day, we're like, wow, we only did 15 miles today. That was, that's awful. Like that was not good, you know? Mm-hmm. And it felt like we should have done 25 or more. What was your average mileage out there? On the PCT, I think it was like 26 average yeah somewhere around there was the at similar the at was the at was definitely slower we would do uh i think people people would call us feast or famine on the at because it'd be like i remember one day we're all we're pumping ourselves up we're like let's go for this 41 yeah let's go let's do 41 today and we walk six miles and come to a shelter and <laughs> I'm at the shelter frying cheese and my buddies pull up and I'm like, you know, we don't have to do 41 today. The shelter is real nice. And uh, we're like, yeah, let's, let's not do that. Let's just do six. And we stayed there and fried cheese all day. And so it was kind of like, we do like a couple of big days and then you'd slow down and a couple of big days and just slow down. And it was kind of just all over the place. It sounds like you, when you say slow down, it sounds like you were slowing down on the trail as opposed to slowing down by taking a, a zero day in town or something like that. Is that true? Uh, I mean, I'm always walking at the same pace, the same clip. I just mean slow down as in like, you know, we do a couple of like high 20s and then we're like, all right, we're just going to do 15 today because it benefits us more so than doing 28 again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we also did we frequented town a lot and we'd Nero almost every chance we got, I feel like. And we'd also, we, we took a handful of zeros, but once the cold starts setting in, you, you kind of got the point, the, the, the cold put the point across that you don't want to be taking zeros because it's only going to get colder and you have to keep hiking. 
Right. So yeah. We try not to, but sometimes you just you get to Damascus and they've got karaoke night or something, and you're like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, you know, I can't pass this up. So. It's karaoke night. Come on. It's called karaoke blazing. It's a real thing. It is a real thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Rutland, Vermont has a lot of good karaoke. That's where the Yellow Deli is. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard of them, and a lot of good karaoke there. Spent five nights doing it. So five nights, huh? Five nights. Yeah, we were <laughs> slack packing during the day, but it's good. It's good stuff. How was the the slack packing working for you? On the AT, slack packing the the way to go. I don't understand why people get into like debates about slack packing. I'm like, dude, you're gonna have to hike the whole trail regardless. Like, you might as well take some weight off your knees and enjoy it. So, as far as the AT went, when I slack packed, or if I had the opportunity to, I took full advantage of it and. We just have a good time. You know, you, you go so much faster without a backpack. A lot of times you're just cruising and sometimes you take advantage of it in a way of doing a lot more miles. But I don't think I ever slack packed on the PCT. I would imagine that would be harder. Yeah. You know, and it's funny how slack packing is cultured onto the AT and then anywhere else. It's not even a thing, but yeah, take advantage of it while you can. It, it is just, this is a nice change of pace in my yeah. opinion. Now, when you were slackpacking, were you just kind of leapfrogging in the, they would, the hostels or whatever would get your packs up to your next stop? Or how is that working if you were doing it consistently? It's not like we're doing it every day. Sometimes we wouldn't do it for a whole month. And then you'd come to a weird situations would occur. The best example I could give you, like, obviously, there's the hostels that do it. And Mm -hmm. they prioritize Mm -hmm. on it because they make money off of it. Oh, absolutely. Which is. Yeah, you know, which is good because they need to stay in business. But they're like, hey, you slack pack from this hostel, to this hostel, and you get a deal and you stay the night and you get a shower. And, and they coordinate that. They'll drive your backpack or your gear to the next hostel. But then there's also times where you meet somebody at a hostel who's not through hiking and they just happen to be going to a town 30 miles away. And they're like, well, you you hear that and you're like, well, actually is there any way that you could take my gear to this town? And they're like, yeah, I'd love to. If I can help you out, I'd love to. And so weird stuff like that would occur. Or a friend that had finished the trail would send you a text and they'd be like, Hey, I'd love to help you out. Let me know. Stuff like that. Now, when you were slackbacking and when somebody else would carry your, your bag, I mean, you're, you're talking about still doing fairly large miles. So how were you, taking water with you? How are you carrying food with you during the day and that kind of stuff? Like, what was that? So generally, at least when I've slack packed with people or when I've done it, you take your backpack, but you just take everything out of it. And then you'll, you'll pack, you know, two, Mm. three, whatever amount of liters of water, pack some clothes. And then you pack your food for the day. Sometimes if you're feeling uncomfortable with the situation, you pack your sleeping bag. And it's like, that's only a couple of pounds. So what's it matter? But just getting rid of your tent or whatever that extra weight may be is real nice. So you still, you still carry your backpack most of the time. It's not like you're just walking. Although like we have done that on very few occasions, but generally just carrying your backpack with the amount of water, it's all, it's very calculated and you're very uh, 
aware of what you're doing. Right. It's funny that you say slack packing because I literally was just talking to somebody this morning who mentioned slack packing as well. And that's kind of the first time I've heard about it. So have both of you mentioning it is, is very coincidental. Yeah. It's like when you hear a word for the first time or something, and then you see it everywhere. You're like, what the heck? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is a, a fun thing to do though. And I don't know, just enjoy the Appalachian trail, do what you have to do to have fun. And if you're not having fun, do something to have fun. So you have fun. You know, that sounds really simple and cliche, but it's the truth. So what did you do to have fun? How did you have fun out there? Hiking with other people is, I mean, the the guys I spent most of my time with on the AT were all high school grads. So we were a bunch of 18-year-olds walking across country, getting into trouble in all the best ways. <laughs> and, you know, it's we're just, we're having the time of our lives. It, it sucks a lot of times. It's the AT. Like right. no one said it'd be fun every day, but you have fun by going into towns and just making jokes and talking and talking to other people and hearing other people's stories too. That's a big thing. And that's a, that's a tough question to answer specifically. Like, what do you do to have fun? It's uh, tough. Did it, did it change for you between the AT and the PCT? Absolutely. Yeah. I told myself the AT taught me, I can't remember what I said actually, but the AT after like reviewing the two trails, after I'd done them, the AT was, it's, it's hard as hell, no doubt, but it was a lot more fun on a social aspect. The PCT was more, more beauty, but Mm -hmm. you have to be like, at least going southbound, you have to be extremely consistent and you just, you can't wake up and do a, five mile day when you planned on doing a 28, you know, it's not, that's not something you can do. Right. You just have to, you have to walk all day. And that's the major change on the PCT is the level of consistency that needs to be held high going southbound. Obviously, once you get past the Sierra, we kind of slacked off a bit. We would still do 25 to 30s pretty casually through the desert. But there were times when you'd come across a hostel and we'd Nero in and then we'd zero and then we'd hike and mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, we can do this because we're not on a time restraint anymore. Right. You've passed that, that marker and, and now you can enjoy it again. Right. And it, and it felt so, so good to be able to do that. Just to, you know, have a six pack of beer in the desert and mm-hmm. just know that you are not worried about anything. Nothing is going to change in the next three weeks. There's no bad weather coming out of nowhere. Nothing that could potentially throw your life at risk. Yeah, it's definitely a real, I mean, I guess it's a threat, like it threatened me, but it's a real concern for Southbounders. And it becomes a concern because people uh, talk about it so much out there. I, I mean, I would run into people and they, I mean, multiple people had told me, you're going to die. What do you, what do you mean? You're going <laughs> to, you know? And okay. Yeah. Very, no, very bold. And I remember hitching up to Sonora pass. We had just been into Kennedy Meadows North. And I remember being in the Fiat 500, one of these tiny cars. It's me, Christoph, the guy I hiked the whole PCT with, and then whoever picked us up. And he's talking about the snowstorm that's going to hit. And he is so excited about it. And excuse my language, but Am I allowed to cuss on here? Sure. 
but I know. Okay. He says, oh, I can't wait. You guys are going to get fucking smashed by this snow. And the, the whole time I'm like, what the hell, man? That's not yeah. good. And his car can barely make it up the pass. We're going like 10 miles an hour. And he's just so excited for us. People just get weird about the snow in the Sierra. Just some, and something to him that was, I don't know, an adventure or an exciting thing could actually literally be life and death for you guys. Right. And, and for two days it was, and mm-hmm. that's okay. It is what it is, but it's like, that's a weird reaction to me. Like, he's like, you're going to get fucking smashed. Yeah. Christoph was diff- like, what the hell? Yeah. It's the difference between I'm going to go home to my nice little house and my warm, comfortable bed. A hundred percent. Versus yeah. I have to figure out how I'm going to stay warm tonight. <laughs> yeah, completely. And, and that's, that's where a lot of, in general, the conversation within through hiking and talking to other people who haven't long distance hiked or done stuff like this, that's where the disconnect is, is mm-hmm. this idea of being out there for months on the end and like not understanding how you can go, you can go and hike for three or four days in the woods and you're like, I get it now, but go do that and go do it for 90 days and you're going to feel completely different. You know? Yeah. You will, you will feel You just feel sickened at times (laughs) and you feel delighted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it does. It does become a job. Right. You, you know, you get up in the morning and you're going to work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was, what was your system? I guess for a day kind of speaking in work terms, I guess, but right. what was your system? Like when would you get up? What would you do in the mornings? How long would you hike? Yeah. So on the PCT, I think I had the most consistent system and Christoph really helped me like form into the system. He was a very wired in person and a very like calculated, smart dude. Just calculated, I think is the word that best describes him. And we would, we would wake up generally, I'd say between 4.30 to 5.30, anywhere in that window, depending on what our day looked like. And he would cook breakfast. And while he cooked breakfast, I would sleep for another 10 minutes. <laughs> and then when I heard, when I heard him cleaning out the, the pot, I was like, shit, I've got to, I've got to start moving. Like this isn't good. So I start packing up. Generally, I'd take a couple of pop tarts and granola bars, throw them in my, throw them where I could reach them, and I'd start hiking. We'd hike until, I'd say anywhere from like twelve to one, and we would generally run into each other. He'd usually be ahead of me by twenty minutes. I'd run into him. We'd have lunch for fifteen to twenty minutes, and then we'd hike for probably another fifteen miles. We'd do like. 15 and 15, somewhere around there. And then, you know, you roll into camp, you get your water. Sometimes I'd like wipe dust off my legs or clean any cuts I had, eat some food. And then my favorite part of the day, one of my favorites was uploading all the photos I took from my camera to my phone, looking over those, writing some stuff down, and then looking at my maps for what tomorrow entailed and researching that and i would like definitely go in depth every night for at least half an hour on gut hook and just see like everyone's comment or every possible water source and also look for any way to get 
a hamburger or, you know, like if there's, if there's like a road that you probably won't see, but is there and it's in a comment by some random guy that he left four years ago and it goes to some bar. I'm like, Christoph, I know this isn't reliable, but this guy says this, you know, just something like that. I would look for those hidden things. And that, that was my daily hike, I guess. So what time are you guys generally lights out? Say, I'd say it felt good to roll into camp around six. That, that was like what we shot for. Say, yeah, say six o'clock. Sometimes it was later. I mean, you, you know, the days vary, but mm-hmm. six o'clock and then probably be sleeping by eight or nine, I think. Okay. That's eight hours of sleep, eight to four or nine to five or whatever the case may be. Yeah. You're, you're basically at that point in the season, it was about when it was starting to get dark. Right. And yeah, I guess that's another thing is that it, it does for all the people thinking about going Sobo, you really want to keep that in mind that you lose a lot of daylight and you're going to reminisce on the days when you had daylight and you're going <laughs> to, you're going to be like, why didn't I hike more when I had daylight? And mm-hmm. It kind of drags on you because, you know, it starts getting dark at I don't know, maybe six o'clock or earlier, yeah. you know, maybe like, maybe like it starts starting to get dark around five thirty, and I'm like, wow, I've got another five miles to hike. And I would always get a little paranoid. Like, I don't want to be hiking in the dark, but it just, it's what you have to do. Did you end up hiking quite a bit in the dark, particularly as you got further South? I mean, in general, I've hiked hundreds of miles in the dark, probably, you know, it's just, it's one of those things you're going to do. I've hiked a lot of a lot of early morning miles in the dark, and I've definitely hiked even more miles in the dark at night just because, you know, when you're trying to pull anywhere from like 25 to high 30 mile days, you're, you're just kind of obligated to do that, especially like when you're trying to make that push into Sierra Nevada and you're really going for it. Yeah. What made you decide to go Sobo? on the PCT? The only reason is because I went solo on the AT. And I thought, I personally thought that it was a pure experience. And any Nobo listening is going to be like, yeah, that damn Sobo, of course you'd say that. And (laughs) it is is just my opinion. uh, Uh But I do, I think the lack of crowds is nice. You really are out there alone most of the time, which is really cool. And then... Yeah, I think that was what sold it for me on the PCT. And then I guess also, too, one thing that also made it easier to decide on going solo is that I got back in December off the AT, and there was no way I was going to be able to turn around and make the money I needed to by April to hike another 2,000-mile trail, right? Yeah, it it gave you extra time. Right, right. You know, an extra three months or whatever it may be. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was looking at your stuff on the track again, and you had mentioned for the AT that you had bought and used a 75 liter pack. Yeah, um, one of my one of my regrets. Yeah, what else though? No, I was just going to say, based on on the comments on the track, I'm assuming that that did change for the other the other trails. And yeah, it did. What did you finally end up with? So I use a Superior Wilderness Designs now, like a 35 liter, and I love it. And very happy that it took me a while 
So originally, before I had even done the AT, I went into REI and they're like, oh, you're doing the AT. You need the biggest pack ever here. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I guess so. And and that's really, like, I love REI and I think they're great, but they cater towards the general populace and not the not the concept of hiking thousands of miles and doing it as light as possible, right? Because you really do want to do it lighter. Like, I'm not going to judge you if you carry more stuff. But it's just your job is to walk all day. Mm-hmm. That's your job. You want you want your job to go as smoothly as possible. You want to be as efficient at your job as possible. And one of the ways to do that is just not carrying a lot of stuff. So, yeah, of course, I was that typical AT hiker. And, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And as I made my way towards the PCT, I lightened my load. I bought that SWD, which is, I think, I really think they're a great company. Their, their customer service is phenomenal. They make nice looking packs. Their packs are good. All that jazz. They're also located in Michigan. So they're close to home. And then I started making my way towards making my, my pack lighter by just getting rid of stuff or upgrading gear. So like what kind of stuff did you get rid of? Uh, as far as the PCT one, I got rid of my my tent for most of the time, and that's that's totally doable on the PCT because the weather out there is very gracious towards you. Mm-hmm. So you can usually just cowboy camp, and you start cowboy camping, and you're like, "This is the best thing ever! Like this is <laughs> awesome!" You know, you just you just have a good time doing it. So I got rid of my tent, and then. I just got rid of loose ends, a lot of random stuff. On the AT, we we all carried candles, like Yankee candles, like five-pound candles or whatever they are, like the big candles. Why? Stuff like that. Man, the light, the light was phenomenal. You'd get light <laughs> from it in the shelters at night, and it smelled good. <laughs> it's, so, it's so dumb, but it's what we did. So stuff like that, you just carry less random stuff. And that's what you learn on the AT. You learn that it's nice to have all those things, but you really don't need them. You know, you need water and food and you need to be somewhat comfortable at night, but not that comfortable. And, and comfort is relative, I guess. Right. It, it is relative. And at this point, comfortable is sleeping on cow patties. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Shoot, you just said something, and I was totally going to ask you a question about it. Oh, you were talking about uh, cowboy camping on the PCT, but you did have a tent with you when you hit the Sierras. Did you just ship it forward or or something so that you would have it there specifically because you knew it was something that you were going to need again? Or So I I think I sent it back to my parents' house, and I was like, yo, I don't need this. And then once we started getting near the Sierra, it started getting like – it started getting windy and I was like, all right, I'm, I don't know why, but I thought maybe I should just get a tent. Like maybe I should just get it back. So I called my dad up and he needed to like mail me new shoes or something. So I was like, you know, you might as well just throw my tent in there if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, I'll do that. So I got my tent at South Lake Tahoe, which is, I guess, as Northern, th- that's the beginning of the Sierra for Southbounders or the end of the Sierra for Northbounders. Right. So just by chance, I had my tent. In the past three years, that's one of the best decisions I've made. Mm-hmm. Personally speaking, of course, 
Kristoff had a tent and if it really came down to it, he would have let me sleep in his tent. But, you know, right. I don't want to be that guy that, Hey, I'm unprepared. Let me sleep in your tent, dude. You know, mm-hmm. it just doesn't make you look very good. Right. I'm trying to go lightweight, but now I need your tent. So. Right. Right. But thankfully my backpack's lighter, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Awful. You'd be that dude. Right. Exactly. And I don't want to be. No, I probably would have offered. I, I would have told him I'd carry it or something for the day mm-hmm. or whatever. Just to be nice. But yeah. So I guess sleeping system, like what tent, what sleeping bag, what I'm assuming you had some sort of uh, inflatable pad. Kind of what were you using? So on the PCC, so on the AT, I used, uh, I didn't have a tent at all on the AT because of the shelters. I just shelter hopped and like going southbound, you can easily do that. Um, but I had like a LL bean sleeping bag, I think. And then, yeah. And then just the, what is the, the pad that everyone uses? The the yellow one? Yeah. That the Neo air. Is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's what I've used on all the trails. And then on the PCT, I used the same LL bean and then I used the marmot tent and they're, they're okay. They're not, I don't recommend them to anyone. And then on the PC or the, the CDT I used, uh, I bought a 10 degree, uh, enlightened equipment enigma quilt mm-hmm. with a closed foot box, which I, I like, I think it's a, for the weight, it's very lightweight. It does keep you warm. 10 degrees is debatable. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly, but it, it's also than a, like a big Agnes copper spur, I think. Um, which is, I really like the, the freestanding tents, but I'm more interested now in tarps and I'm looking into the six moon designs to shoots, which is like $175 for something ridiculous, like 16 ounces. And it's a, it's a tarp really interested in that. My friend showed me that and I thought, uh, I got to check that out. Now, when you say tarp, does it also have some sort of mosquito netting with it and, and like a bathtub floor or anything like that? Or is it literally just an A-frame tarp? Uh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't think there is, I think there might be an option to get a floor on it. And then I, there's a little like mosquito net that kind of comes down to the ground and that's it. It's pretty, pretty basic. I was going to say, did you have a lot of problems with mosquitoes out there? (laughs) Uh, on the 18, no, on the PCT, the mosquitoes were hell for a solid two weeks. I mean, you, you stop for 30 seconds and you're just getting bit up and it's, it, it wears on you. You're like, wow, this is really not cool. Like I hate these mosquitoes. And the, the mosquito season was particularly bad the year I did the PCT because there was so, so much snow out there. So like the more snow from what I've heard, the more mosquitoes, because there's more melt off. So there's more water mm-hmm. delay and that whole concept. CDT. Yeah, there was mosquitoes, but nothing that seemed crazy. You know, it's bad, but you deal with it. When you hit the mosquitoes on the PCT, was that up in Washington, Oregon? Or was that yeah. really once you... Okay. Yeah, it's definitely like southern Washington. There's actually an Indian heaven wilderness. That's where I remember. And everyone was joking about it. They're like, more like Indian hell, but it's <laughs> bad up there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, I know. I People... I, so many people have said that basically the way to escape the mosquitoes is you just have to keep walking. 
And yeah. I hear that and it just makes me laugh. You're you're trying to outrun the mosquitoes. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a thing out there for for a little bit and you just have to keep in mind like hey, it's not going to last forever. So you just you put up with it and it's not fun, but whenever you're back home at a bonfire and someone complains about the mosquitoes, you can just kind of chuckle <laughs> on your breath and think they have no idea. You know, they have no idea. But I'm not, I'm not really big on DEET or any of that stuff. I think it's so toxic to your body. It melts mm-hmm. plastic, you know, and you're yeah. like, you, putting that on your body, like, doesn't seem too cool, but it does work. Yeah. Health versus mental sanity. Health versus mental sanity. <laughs> it's, it's a tough debate right there, for sure. Speaking, speaking of mental, did you have any sort of mental strategies or, or th- kind of, I guess, deals with yourself in terms of when it was difficult, what you would do, whether that was difficult for pain, difficult for monotony, difficult for hating being there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you remind yourself that when you're in pain and when you're going through a tough time, there's people out there that have it a lot worse and they don't have a choice. That's what I tell myself. I'm going through this pain right now because I'm pushing myself 28 miles a day or whatever. And and it it sucks. I'm in a lot of pain and I'm really hurting. But then I remember that there's people that are ill out there right now at all, uh, all points of time in history. Uh And they're really hurting and they don't have a choice. They're not putting themselves through that for fun. They're putting themselves through that on no basis. They're just living in that degrading way of life because they're ill because they have a disease or something and i that's what i tell myself you're you're gonna be fine tomorrow you know you're gonna go sleep and chances are whatever's swollen right now is gonna be fine in the morning i think that's how i see it right well and am i correct in saying that uh looking looking you up online you had done the pct you had done hike for mental health i don't i don't know about that no that wasn't you I feel like Hike for Mental Health might have messaged me or something, and I might have signed up for it, but I'm not really, I wasn't really sure how to go about doing, like, I don't know if, like, how that works, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I I definitely was not in any type of, what do you call it, agreement with Hike for Mental Health, as far as my hiking goes. For anyone that is, good for them, there's definitely... If if you can find a way to donate donate money and hike to any sort of charity, uh, that's great. I think because you're doing the way I see through hiking or hiking in general, like it is a very selfish act. And there's nothing wrong with being selfish because this is this is your own life, and you've got to you've got to live the way you want to live. But if you can incorporate some sort of cause, that's phenomenal. Definitely. What. What was your trail name out there? And did you keep the same trail name for all of the different hikes? Yeah, I kept the, the same trail name for all three of the hikes. My trail name's Cockblock Moses. Um, Please do tell. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting story. So originally when I started the AT, um, I started it going from Monson, Maine, which is at the I basically went northbound from Monson to Katahdin because my dad took me out there and logistically speaking, it just kind of worked out well 
because he drove me out there and he could park his car in Monson and then we could walk okay. to Katahdin. So I walked to Katahdin, got to Katahdin, and then a hospital shuttled me down to Monson and I wore my, my sandals in the car and I put my shoes in the back of the, the trunk and these two guys that were also in the shuttle got out before me at a different place and then I got out and my shoes weren't in the back and I was like, where are my shoes? I put them back there. So my, my thinking is, is they took them, um, probably on X, they just weren't thinking. And so I was, I was hiking in sandals for like a while and I had uh, one trekking pole and someone was joking like, Hey, you know, you're Moses or whatever. And I thought, all right, I guess that's my travel name. And so I got Moses and I always kind of thought that was lame. You hear a lot of people to Moses, right? Mm-hmm. That's a positive trail name. Not so much cockwalk. And no. So I pull up to a shelter one night and there's a guy there and someone's going to hate me for saying this, but he's got a pit bull who was a very friendly dog at first. We were talking to this guy and he's just drinking a bottle of whiskey, hanging out. We're making dinner and, you know, he's offering us bong rips if we wanted them. He's offering us the whiskey bottle and we're just having a good time as of right now. It's me. And this guy, Ducks, who I started hiking with, who had just got out of the Navy, fresh out of the Navy a couple of months ago. And he's a, he's a good friend. And there's this group of girls that is nearby who are like 16 years old. And they come over because they hear him playing music off of his radio. And they, they start asking him, hey, can we, uh, can we play music off your radio? We really want to hear this song. And he tells them how it's a radio, not like an auxiliary. You can't connect mm-hmm. your phone to it. And I start talking to these girls too. And we're just talking. They bring me over pudding. And I was like, hey, thanks. They leave. And this guy who's now pretty drunk sits in front of me. He starts starts dead-eyeing me as I'm sitting in the corner of the shelter eating dinner. And he's like, excuse my language again, but he's like, you fucked up my chances. And I thought, are you like, are you talking to me right now? He's like, yeah. I Again, excuse my language, but he's like, I could have got some pussy tonight. And I thought, I thought, all right. I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I like, I didn't really know what to say. I was, I was baffled. Yeah. Like this guy is probably 35, 40. And these girls who might ask their age, I, I asked them like, Hey, how old are you guys? What are you up to? And, they're sophomores in high school. Like they're young and it was very yeah. visible that they were young. So he's getting pretty angry and he, he's, he's sitting on this bench in front of me and stares at me for 20 minutes. Tell me how I cock blocked him and how I really just messed his chances up. And I thought, all right, this isn't good. And his dog starts getting aggressive who previously was relatively friendly and starts mm-hmm. running back and forth. I'm like, wow, uh, now I've got myself in a situation. And he'd also mentioned how he wants to, wanted to stab me in the neck and I'm like, okay, now I've got a death threat on my hand and I'm thinking this dog's going to attack me. And of course, you know, it's a, it's a pit bull. Like wh- what are the chances? And so I, I pull my knife out and I said to the side, cause I'm in the corner of the shelter. He's five feet away from me and he's not five, probably like seven or eight. And he's looking like he's going to lurch at me. And I thought he's going to try to kill me right now. And this dog's probably going to come at me too. And my friend Ducks, who's sitting right next to me in the shelter, he's like, Moses, it's your move. He's like, I'll kill this guy with my hand tied behind my back. 
And this guy is telling me this, and I know he's serious because he was a, he was basically a navigator for the Navy SEALs. And he's like, look, Moses, you know, this guy moves and I'm on him. And I'm like, well, we don't, we don't really need to do that. But so thank you. Another guy, but... Yeah, right. Exactly. I don't, I don't want it to come to this. I don't want to, like I was in high school two weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> this, this isn't normal. So another guy pulls up to the shelter and he starts talking to the guy that's harassing me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ducks, let's go. Like we packed all our stuff up. I mean, it took us 30 seconds and we ran, got the heck out of there. And we went and ended up camping with like three or four other people. And we were good that night. So it was kind of a joke at first, but he had said I cock blocked him. So ducks started kind of calling me cock block. And I was like, whatever, cock block Moses. I think it's funny. And, Mm-hmm. And then it became a thing on the trail that year. You'd run into people and they're like, oh, you're cockblock Moses. Like you saved those Girl Scouts. And I'm like, well, that's a stretch. I didn't really save anybody. But it was kind of like this, this folklore, whatever. I don't know what you'd call it. Like a exaggerated story of the trail that year. You became infamous. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And cockblock is not necessarily the right word. And people have criticized me for that specifically. But it it just is what it is at this point. That situation went um, it seemed kind of it went from zero to sixty very quickly. Very yeah, very fast. And and the dog was freaking me out. The dog was running back and forth barking at me. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I actually got picked up by ducks at the PCT Southern Terminus. He picked me up after I finished the through hike. And you know I I told that story a hundred times on the PCT because people are oh how'd you get that name Cockwalk Moses? That's interesting and. You know, Christoph had heard me tell that story over and over again. So I was like, Ducks, can you tell the story yourself and like make sure that I'm not forgetting any of this? And sure enough, that dog was running back and forth. And that that was one thing that always caught me off guard was how aggressive that dog got. But he never came at me, which mm-hmm. was surprising. I was I was just waiting for him to come attack me, but he was kind of just staying at parallel length with his owner yeah he was probably picking up on the aggression coming out of off of his owner oh 100 percent, yeah and he was mad i mean i i was i was very scared i really was because this Mm -hmm. guy was pissed off and he was drunk and he's just staring at me he stared at me for 20 minutes and he wasn't a hiker he was just somebody who was using the shelter that night so he he claimed he'd hiked with the P, uh, the AT like two or three years prior. And I was like, all right, man. And there could, there might be a chance that he did that. I wouldn't be mm-hmm. totally shocked if that was the case based off of our conversations prior to him getting angry. But yeah, he was using the shelter that night. It was a weekend and it was like three miles from the road. So he just hiked in and, you know, brought a bong and a bottle of whiskey and was having a good time. Whoa. Yeah. What what was your experience out there? I guess sort of flipping it over. What was your experience out there with like trail magic and trail angels on the different trails? You get trail magic going southbound when you see northbounders. Ah, um, okay. And then every now and then you'll kind of, I guess the type of trail magic I'm talking about is people setting up a grill at a road, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the type of stuff you get every day when you hit the northbound bubble you don't get that south you get more like random acts of kindness like 
oh, you're hiking the AT. My uncle did that. Here's $10. That's amazing. You know, or like someone giving you a ride or letting you sleep on their front lawn, just something random. So not so much after say Massachusetts, you really don't get much trail magic, but people are still always looking to be friendly to you and help you. They just didn't intend on giving a hiker trail magic that day, you know, like the right. people that are setting up shop. And then same, same goes on the PCT. When you hit the northbound bubble, people are setting up at roads and cooking and grilling out. And, and then after that, it's kind of like, sometimes people maintain water caches and that's kind of your trail magic, which is some of the best trail magic out there. And they kind of know that there's a few southbound hikers here and there in the desert. And they're like, all right, we'll cache it for you. Mm-hmm. And then on the CDT, I don't, I don't really remember any actual instances of trail magic. Definitely people being friendly towards me and being good and trail angels, but no one like, you know, no one at a road with a, with a hot dog stand, like, Hey, hikers come here. How, how was the desert for water on the PCT? Were the, the caches full, relatively speaking, or? I feel like they were, I, I think when there were caches, they were well taken care of and you really communicate well. There's a PCT water report on Google docs that you can look up mm-hmm. and people are pretty up with it uh, as far as commenting goes. And then gut hook is, Gut hook is pretty fair with water sources. And, and at this point, you've hiked over 2,000 miles. You've been following so-and-so on gut hook for 2,000 miles. And you're like, this guy is reputable, you know, right. whoever he is, whatever his name is. You're like, I trust this dude. And he says the water is good here. So the water, though, on the PCT, people are always worried about water on the desert. And yeah. it, it was still never as bad as water on the AT in the south. So that kind of like. Use my perception of water. Yeah, it was really never a problem. And you can you can bust the thirty five out like it's nothing in the desert, really. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, if you need to get to water, you can. You're just in great shape, and the desert is cruising. Did you have any problems with your feet once you hit the desert because of the sand and you know getting in your shoes? Not that I can think of. I definitely wore gaiters, the dirty gals. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. But in general, the PCT is a lot dustier, a lot sandier, and that could, I could easily see that being a problem for someone. I mean, uh, keeping keeping care of your feet is the biggest challenge out there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it it really is, and you want to keep them clean. You want to keep an eye on them. That's where all the pressure is going, mm-hmm. and that's a big deal. You, I try to tell people that to people who are trying to get into this take your time in the beginning because your body is not it's not going to be used to this i don't care if you're in shape or not i go out there every year in shape you know i i run weeks before i go through hike i run and run and run and and i'm in shape and you get out there you throw a backpack on and you go hike for five days in, in these big mountains your body gets tired and and it's not used to it. And there's just a lot of different aspects of it that affect your body in weird ways. And so I tell people like, Hey, take your, take your time, go slow, let your body build up and push yourself later on when you know your body can handle it. Right. If, If you do it right, you will be able to keep going. If you do it wrong, you may actually have to get off the trail. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that you've, you've got to think of it as a kind of like as a, a marathon or something even greater, like this, you don't want one day to affect five months. Yeah. You know, you want it to build up towards five months and, and it's, it's self-control, but enjoy it. You know, don't yeah. hurt yourself. What kind of self-care were you doing for your feet? Absolutely none, actually. You know, I mean, <laughs> as okay. I give out this advice, yeah, it's, it's awful. Like, I'm I'm the guy giving advice, but I'm probably also the one with screwed up feet. Uh, you know, I I would like white wet wipe them every now and then, but I do remember, like, in between towns, from town to town, you know, I wouldn't take my socks off. I didn't want to see what they were doing, <laughs> which is terrible. Definitely should have taken better care of them. But I guess if I was in immense pain or anything, I would take my socks off and look at my feet. Or if there was a big blister, I'd take them off and pop it. A lot of times, though, I feel like there's not really much you can do. Like you can put gold bond and neosporin on things, but you can't really put too much on your feet because they move so much that if you put a bandaid on, it's going to fall off pretty quickly. And you just, just let them air out and calm down or rub them maybe or put them in i guess you could put them in a cold crick that yeah. that is something to do it's tough you know it is it is tough like i don't really know what to do for them i guess just the neosporin and cold bond did you take your shoes off when you guys stopped for lunch or anything like that i never did that i do okay. see people doing that though it makes sense or i guess stop take off your shoes elevate your feet any of that right. kind of stuff. Right. Like that. <laughs> I mean, <if> you tell, <laughs> it seems it, so I mean, simple you, now, obvious. <laughs> right. Right. It, it all makes sense now. It's like you tell someone, hey, I'm hiking 30 miles today. And you say, I'm not going to take my shoes off and elevate my feet. They're like, well, why not at lunch? You should do that. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like Kristoff did that stuff. He would mm -hmm. take his shoes off and stretch or, and he's a bit older than me. So he's, probably got more discipline or something like that right but more discipline and less resilience right exactly yeah i'm like 19 at the time i can kind of do this stuff and not worry about the effects later on which is i remember terrible. those days yeah what was your best time on trail it's a tough question best time on trail uh as far as the AT goes, there's definitely been a couple of sections. Let's see. Oh, that's tough. That really, that's a tough question. Because there's so many or because it's hard to remember? Yeah, you know, everything in hindsight just feels like the best time on trail, you know? But in, in reality, it probably was painful, you know, or tiring. There's so many good times on trail, you know, just even you pull into Damascus and you're like, wow, we made it. We made it out of Virginia. We did it. We're in Damascus and Damascus is such a great, kind of like a key point on the AT. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a checkpoint. We go to the bar that night and we get, we get drunk and we meet this guy there and he's telling us, Hey, come over to our house tonight. If you want some medicine and medicine is moonshine and, and Appalachia and, Got it. I didn't go over, but my friends did. And we slept in this teepee outside of uh, this hostel. And I just remember waking up at one in the morning and I look up and I, 
I see my friend pulling his pants up. I'm like, what the hell? And then I look over at my friend and he's just splattered in piss, you know, and it's stuff like that, that you remember. You're like, that, that was a good time. Maybe not for him, but for me, <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you know, it's funny for you. It's hysterical. Oh God. It was, it was the best. And he wasn't so happy, but <laughs> okay. And what about on the PCT? PCT. Uh, definitely had some good times in Northern Washington when all the Sobos were kind of bunched up together coming into towns and you know just having some beer with southbounders and then oregon was a lot of fun meeting all the nobos but probably i'd say the best time might have been when we got into southern california in the desert and we stayed at like casa de luna i don't know Mm. if you've heard of that um and yeah, I mean, we pull up and no one's there and we're like, huh, should we even be here? And then Terry comes out of nowhere and she's got 12 boxes of pizza. And we're like, all right, I guess she's here. <laughs> you know, like, there's two of us, but we'll eat 12 boxes of pizza. And, you know, and then she comes out of nowhere with a bunch of, you know, substances and whatnot. She's like, here, is this for you guys? Like, you, you deserved it. Take it. And you just you just have a good time with these people and you don't you've never met these people but they let you they let you stay in their home they let you get drunk with them and eat pizza and they buy you food and they treat you as family and and the the instances themselves are great but the fact that you can just pull up to somebody's house and shoot the shit with them like you know them is amazing like that's that's a good time to me you've never met them in your life and they treat you like family and that's 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 part of the hiker community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You had mentioned that you had done or that you did uh the Loda High. Yeah. Well, I I didn't finish it, but I attempted it. Okay. So yeah, the Loda High is a it's interesting cuz it starts at it's Loda High, it starts at the lowest point in America, Badwater Basin and Death Valley National Park and mm-hmm. runs all the way uh say like uh, what would it be northwest up to Mount Whitney, which is the highest contiguous point uh, in America. And yeah, so we had been planning this for a while. This kid that I hiked, I, I spent all summer with this kid named Jackson and he had eyed this route. He's like, this looks really interesting. And I thought, yeah, I mean, whatever, dude, I'll do it with you. I don't care. And so he, we plan on doing it. I uh, take a Greyhound down to Cincinnati and he picks me up and we drive across country. He's coming from Virginia and this is late in the season now. And he takes me all the way to California and, you know, his car breaks down like 17 times on the way to California. <laughs> and it's the, it's the least smoothest trip you can imagine, but we get to Badwater and it's a, it's just a strange environment. It's the salt flats. You're walking on salt and it's like sinking and it feels kind of, kind of good the way your feet sink into this mud but unfortunately yeah i didn't make it i had a i had a heat stroke which is mm-hmm. it was interesting had a heat stroke climbing up to telescope peak which is the third steepest climb in america as far as i'm con- as far as far as i've read like under class four mm-hmm. and it like for me i didn't make it but i had a good time and 
we we originally intended on doing it like three weeks earlier and we didn't get to it until three weeks later but the cartel was actually in that canyon three weeks prior when we were originally going to do it and we later found this out because the water source in hanupa canyon was poisoned with rodenticide which is i guess bad because we drank a lot of that water and i'm not sure if that played into the heat stroke or not i don't know i really can't say and I'm not, I'm not even, I mean, the rodenticide could have washed out of the canyon by then. But we, I was so anxious to do this route because I thought snow was going to hit in the Sierra Nevada because we were doing it so late. And I really wanted to do it three weeks earlier when we originally intended on doing it. And, you know, mind you, like a year before I had got caught in the snowstorm this year. So I was very anxious. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be on Mount yeah. Whitney in any any situation and but i talked to jackson a few months ago about it i'm like you know have you ever thought about the fact that if we would have done this route three weeks earlier we probably would have ran into the cartel the mexican cartel and while we were in that canyon we uncovered a bunch of their stuff we found a bunch of hats and backpacks we found limes that were mildly rotted um and, and we're like wow like, this is crazy. And and we started talking to the locals, and they're talking about the Park Service getting into gunfire fights with the cartel and how it's, like, rather casual, but they don't really talk about it. So, it's interesting. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Death Valley, it's it's an interesting place, and, and it's so remote and just different. Like, no one's going back into Hanupa Canyon. No, just no right. one. Yeah. No one has any reason to go back there. You know, it's Death Valley. Like, why would you? There's one road, and you stay on it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is. It's called Death Valley for a reason. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah. What yeah. What time of the year? When When did you end up going out there? Uh let's see. It was probably like mid October, like October twenty okay. fourth or something. We We I don't know. It was definitely end of October though. Yeah. And they were fine. They they made it to to Whitney. They bailed me out, which uh, I'm very thankful for, because it, the the stroke did make me pretty sick, and I, I was I was really out of it for a few days. And they kept going, and they made it to Whitney. And the snow there was no snow up there. I mean, dusting and whatnot, but they did it, and it was pretty cool. How long did that did it take for them to do that? I think like five or six days. Okay. It's tough. It's you're talking about cross country travel that is there's there's really no trail. Like there there's roads at times or there's a trail here and there, but like when you're climbing up Telescope Peak, you're just climbing up it. There's not a trail going up that and it's the steepest thing you've ever walked up and it, it's so tough. And every time you take a step, the rocks pull you three feet closer down and then you mm-hmm. take another step and you're like, God, this is this is not fun. <laughs> that type of travel is particularly more intense, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it makes you it makes you wonder. Right. Right. It's fun though. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you while you were out there, there was also the question of whose brilliant idea was this? Right, right. And it was Jackson's, so I could give him all the <laughs> all the the stripe the I wanted. No, right, right. Like, dude, are you serious? 
No, but it's all in good intention. And, you know, we knew we were probably going to get ourselves into something wild and Mm -hmm. that's how it always is. Like it's, you're always, it's the second day and you're like, why the heck am I out here? You know, I could be in, I could be anywhere and I'm here and it's terrible. And, but man, it feels so good to get out of there and get a hamburger and drink a beer. It really does. And that's why you do it because it, it teaches you to respect your conditions that we have nowadays, like just to be dry, like constantly and to be warm and be inside and, and to not take that for granted. So, yeah. It gives you good perspective. Right. It does. It does. If you don't, I feel like if you don't do stuff like that, you don't really understand how lucky we are. I mean, maybe you do. I don't want to like generalize, but it it feels good to be warm and it's like hey i'm I'm happy <laughs> yeah. to be warm you know and because i've been cold before and i'm like this isn't fun so, yeah yeah definitely first world problems though oh right right yeah it's unique is there anything that you feel like should be said or or uh mentioned that we haven't talked about yet I think I don't I don't I can't think of anything. I think you did a great job throwing these questions at me and yeah, thanks for having me on. I don't know if you have anything else to ask me out of the box or my my list of questions is kind of full right well, now. I I think I've 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 picked your brain as as much as I can in this moment. Uh but if there are other people who have who come up with with additional questions or or want to reach out to you, where where can they find you? Where should they find you? Oh, like on Instagram. That would be the perfect place. Okay, so Instagram right. would be your would be your right. preference. Instagram. Yeah, all right. Yeah. It's uh Clay Hikes, like C L A Y and then Hikes, no spaces or anything, no capitalization. You'll see me. I've just got a bunch of pictures of mountains on there. And then Yeah, that's about the only place. I, okay. I occasionally post on there, but yeah, if anyone listens to this and has questions about trail, they're more than welcome to message me. And I'm always happy to give feedback or try to help someone. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, for reaching out and, and for coming on and, and talking with me. Well, thanks for having me. This has been great. I don't always get to talk about this as much as I'd like to. So well, thank you. Show notes and links for Clayton's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Clayton for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We'd also love it if you could find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.